All right, this is our World of Lifting podcast. We took a little break, but we have returned, and we have special guest today. He's Leroy the Machine Walker, ranked 11th all-time in the bench press on open powerlifting. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. It's, a, it's, it's an honor to have you on. But uh, let's talk about um, how you got into powerlifting. Um, obviously, everyone knows you as the king of the incline bench press on, on Instagram. So how did it how did it get started with that? Um, actually, it started uh, I guess in high school. Um, actually, before that, before junior high, I started lifting when I was I think I was thirteen. I started with just a, a I think a twenty five pound easy curl bar, and then started adding like tens and twenty fives, and then forty fives were too big. So I, then I went to a normal standard barbell bar. My my uncle who got me into it was like a amateur bodybuilder so my coming up was always I think what helped me out is I learned sets and reps and movements as far as bodybuilding like you start like if you were like a mold of clay and you start chiseling stuff down so you go from your bigger movements to your smaller movements and then I started slowly looking up to Arnold Schwarzenegger like push-pull methods and stuff like that none of it came about to be with formal powerlifting it was more of just and then when I kind of morphed it, when I got to high school, you had obviously, um, you know, back in the 90s, we had bigger, stronger, faster. So I combined what I've learned early on from sets and reps to your basic power and explosive movements, and then just kind of stuck with the basics all through high school. Um, I was really, to be honest, when I started, I was a better deadlifter and squatter than venture. I, I think I was like a wow. 200... I was like a 190 pound kid, like during wrestling and stuff like that during football. I think I went to like 215. Um, and I think my, my graduated, I think I was like a 375, 380 venture at like 16 years old. I graduated then that summer I turned 17. So all the way through high school, I was a better puller and squatter. Bench was just something I was okay at. And then through college, um, I had really good weightlifting coaches in high school but it didn't transfer with me to college we just had kind of guys that were work on explosive stuff and then you know your basic sets and reps but no one who knew how to spot and wrap knees and all that stuff so I kind of let the deadlifting and squat fall to the side and after college I was able to still maintain and focus bench at a commercial gym so then I just kind of stuck with it from there. So you said you used to wrestle and and play football so you think that that kind of helped uh, your lifting career? Um, it helped where you understand the balance. And I think it, I think people, you either learn, and I, I learned this as a coach as I transitioned from a player to a coach when I went back to give back to high school. It, it's one of those things you got to lay the foundation, and then people are going to love it or hate it, or at least you can instill the work ethic. And I, I think football and wrestling kind of instilled that to where you understand the importance of training all year round, not just in season, especially when you want to make improvements and stuff like that. So I guess that early foundation made it easy to stick with it and let it be kind of an all year thing and not a seasonal thing like you see with some athletes. Sure. Uh, and you said when you, when you started to give back, I just saw your Instagram, you said uh, true strength isn't about the size of your muscles. It's about the ability to lift the spirits and, and smiles of those around you. So is that basically your philosophy when you, when you, start, when you coach, coach your athletes now? I think, yeah. I think ultimately what you want to do with anything in life is you want to, you want to envision the man, and I'm saying this in reference to we're having a conversation, um, not trying to be exclusive to mm -hmm. women. I, I guess it's a time where you got to make disclaimers like that so nothing gets misconstrued. But I guess – when you envision the man you want to be, I think it's important that you let your, your daily habits and rituals, those are going to want to guide you into who you are. I, I mean, a lot of people say what they want to be, but you are what your actions are. That's who, what really makes you. So I think when you can kind of instill that and have a great foundation, you got to build yourself into the person you want to be, but then you got to also do it so you can give it away. I'm, I'm a firm believer of is everything you only really acquire knowledge that once you can kind of understand it and conceptualize it, you have to build yourself up. Then you have to give it away and help other people or else it, it just kind of stays stagnant. And if you're stagnant as a person and not growing, then you're just living a slow death. So I think it's so important to build yourself up 
and, and then just being able to give it away, uh, whether it's knowledge, whether it's coaching, whether it's, you know, any other kind of expertise or something that you've paved the way and had breakthroughs, I think you should give that to other people. Now, I'm not saying that there's something wrong with innately with people who become coaches or, you know, work in that, you know, kind of environment and make a living off it. I often think people should be compensated, but for the most part, you know, the basics, I don't think it hurts anybody to give away tips. I don't think you should have to hoard or hide away everything that you've learned from someone else and just keep it to yourself and not pass on that knowledge. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it probably feels, feels very good to be able to, to at the end of the day, I help someone a bench this much. I help this, this person get this, this much better at, at the sport. And as a person, it is a person. I, I, I really see, I see two different dialogues between athletes and coaches and you see the one where, and, and I, and I don't mean that, you know, lump everybody in when I say this but you see this a lot of times at commercial gyms at least in bodybuilding and powerlifting for example or just personal training you'll see a lot of people will under train clients just to kind of string them along because they're doing it for the paycheck or they're doing it for the monetary value they're not doing it from the value that they're going to build up people and give them the knowledge to then do for themselves I, I never have a problem with people who stop programming or coaching with me and once I tell people if you learn what you really came here to learn and it takes a month or two months or three months I'm fine with that because my, my job is not to continuously be your coach forever it's really just to give you the tools and you know the personal growth and development that you need that I can provide so you can you know become self-sufficient and then hopefully pass it on to someone else I want everybody to surpass me so, you know, it's like when people ask me, you know, how do you feel about a Krill or Julius Maddox or these people that, you know, have crushed 700 pounds, something that you, you know, you put up there. I've always wanted to be a 700-pound bencher, and I always know that there's going to be people that will surpass me, and there's going to be, you know, like in life, there's going to be people that are better than what you do. But if you can't clap and cheer for people that surpass you, whether it's your students, whether it's people you coach, whether it's your friends – then I think you're just living a horrible life. Wow. Yeah, that's that's definitely a lot of weird coaches these days where they'll just they'll take the online certification, like you said, for the monetary value and not not really help out the the younger guys and, and give back for real. So I think that's I think that's very respectful to be able to, to have that kind of mentality to coach people like that. Yeah. And I think I think the biggest thing about coaching is, and I get this a lot, you know, even when I, I, I try to take pride for the most part in being consistent, and I, I think I need to do more of that, you know, with um, definitely all the stay-at-home stuff going on. But I try to give as much free content away. And, you know, people ask me from a coaching standpoint, well, that, doesn't that limit your coaching ability? Doesn't it make it so you can't really monetize? And I said, no, because, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're a master of your craft, you know, ultimately what you can afford to give away and you know what you got to kind of keep so you can place a value to make a living off it. Now I'm not going to go sign up 10 or 15 clients and then start posting the same programs online for free that I provide to my clients. But if someone's asking for general tips and pointers on how to set up or hand placement or the basic schematics, like I post, my wave loading all the time and it's just it's just like kind of like a two-week program to help people get over a plateau now if people think that's all that my venturing or coaching consists of well then they just are misinformed or they haven't signed up but I don't think that you that someone should necessarily think if you give away certain tips and pointers it's going to diminish your ideology of what you provide as a coach I think no matter what you have to do in business you have to provide value and service to people and it has to register with them or else it's all for nothing. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely different now because of social media. You you can easily like reach to vastly much more people than 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 before. And then obviously then there's the trolls and people that, that criticize you for for doing that. Yeah, there's I mean people are always gonna have something to say, but I think um I think ultimately what you project says more about yourself than anything else. So if there's people out there and there's always going to be haters and I, I know I'll do posts. Like I know I, we just talked about, I did a post a little bit ago. 
I, I knew there was some trolling there. I know by what I ask people, it's going to trigger some people. And, but I think, you know, it's all about the engagement. It's all about context. I, I think sometimes people are apprehensive to want to see people they look up to ask controversial questions. Now, at, at the end of the day, there's certain areas I'm going to be a fan. I, I want to know what honestly people think about the use of PEDs. So I'll ask a simple question. Should they be legal or should they, you know, be banned? And then people will assume or make the assumption that since, you know, I'm a bigger, stronger person, I must be pro-advocation of it. And I'll tell people my stance is, is simply this. I, I'm not going to condemn people one way or the other. I think ultimately it's your your body, your choice. But I will say do your due diligence, understand what you're getting into and the pros and the cons. Obviously, um, I'll tell people when I bring them on as a coach, I'm going to coach you as if you're a natural athlete. Now, if you are enhanced, all that does to me is someone who's been in the business has let me know what your recovery time might be or what are some of the limitations that you may or may not have. But I'm not going to ever advocate or tell someone, hey, if you want to do this kind of program, that you have to be enhanced to do it. Because I started off for the longest time, you know, drug-free. And it's just I think about learning your body and having a good foundation. And if you don't have that, it doesn't matter what you take. It's not just going to, you know, necessarily work for you one way or the other. Yes. A lot of people think steroids are the magic pill. That's probably why there's a lot of trolls on the internet. Oh, it's, it's probably because he took this much, you know. That's probably why he's benching 700. Obviously. No, and you know what? I, I can say I've lifted around. You know, I, I believe this. Here, I mean, my people always say, well, what's your stance? I, I think everybody deserves to have an opportunity to play in the sandbox. Now, do I think everyone should play in the sandbox? Absolutely not. I think there's a huge difference between people who choose to take PEDs and they're okay with the, with the, the benefits and the consequences, the pros and the cons. But I, I don't think um, that people should be ostracized or forced into something they don't want to, nor do I think people who obviously know they're on gear should, you know, duck the competition and go jump in a competition that's not tested and try to pass off as their natural. I think there, there should be two sandlots. People should be able to play where they want and just, just stay in your lane. If you know you're enhanced, then, you know, don't compete with the people that are trying to do it drug-free. You know, and, and the people – if, if you have a federation that has the kind of testing that you feel is adequate or you trust the process, then, you know, don't go making waves or, you know, try to shut down a federation that doesn't test because people have made that choice. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you think that uh, fake naturals are a problem? Um, people that, that would do that to hop into a meet that is tested, but they're on something, but somehow beat the test with, with how they, I don't know how they, how they, you know, the at, at the end of the day, to be honest with you, I, I'm not going to, I don't think it's a problem. Um, I think like anything else there, it's, it's such a small finite number that mm -hmm. I think, I think the gist of the conversation might be lucrative or sexy and appeal to the masses to say, do we have a problem with, fake you know natty's jumping the competition I, I don't think you're gonna see it to the level to where it's i mean i can't remember the last time it turned into something that made a, a splash or even headlines you know I, I follow you know most just like anybody most of the major um channels or pages whether it's you know power let's open lift, power, uh, powerlifting motivation, powerlifter watch. I don't remember the last five years where there's been someone that's obviously touted themselves as a natty uh, jumping in a tested federation and getting popped. I think you've seen a couple hiccups in the testing here. There are some people that have been on stuff that wasn't necessarily on the banned list that triggered a test. You know, I'm not going to name names, but there's a couple people in the last couple of years, you know, that come close to mind. Um, but, it, but even then, it wasn't something that had the public or the powerlifting world outraged. I think the people involved, you know, their character and the, the amount of testing that they've done to uphold that their claim is natty, I think, was sufficient. So I think it was just kind of – it kind of caught – I think, to me, it came across those couple people that did get popped. It came across as more as – you know, be careful because the testing can be so sensitive. 
but I don't think it was a call to, hey, look at these people trying to jump in these federations and cheat. I think it was more about the testing can be subjective or, you know, sometimes very touchy. Yeah, but that, that's probably why they did make um, tested and non-tested federations for that very reason, so that there is a level playing field for the natural lifters. And then the lifters that are enhanced, they can, they can you know, have their own separate thing. Me, I mean, me personally, I, I, I'm of the belief that no matter what you take, you still got to put in the hard work. And I think the best testing, yeah. I, and people get shocked when I say this, but I honestly think the best testing is no testing. You know, oh, I mean, I at, at, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if you're, if, if you're a hundred in this, I think it's more of a philosophical debate. If you're a hundred percent type of guy that wants to claim the natty life and you want to compete you're, you're doing it more for self-competition than you are for self-promotion. Um, you know, you're not in it to like, hey, look at me, I'm the strongest natty. I think it's more of a thing where people like that use meets to measure their own success because they're really competing against themselves and not necessarily other people. And then the people – and I just say it like that because when I say the best testing is no testing because there's so many people and so many ways to get around the testing. So I think if you're just like, hey – you know what, we're going to have more people that are on in this meet than off and more people that are being competitive and using uh, the PEDs for the recovery time and that and for that little bit of edge that it gives them, not necessarily against competition, um, then I, I think that's just the way to go because then you don't have to say, well, well, this guy tested clean or that guy because there's so many people cheating tests anyways. Sure, that's the same with how, how Russia got banned in uh, the – the last two Olympics, I'm sure. Um, yeah. They, there was that whole documentary on how they, they like manipulated the, the urine tests and, and yeah, there's. This I, I think, yeah, I think ultimately, I think it comes down to this and this is what I would tell people maybe listening to this outside the sport. A hundred percent. I believe it's competition with yourself. I don't know anybody that runs gear and says, or I've never, okay, here's a, I, I can say this without naming names. I've listened to, a lot of very, very competitive at the highest levels, alpha dominant males and females. And I've never once heard someone make the remark, say, you know, I'm going to load up on this cycle so I can beat so-and-so. <laughs> it's always about improving yourself, making yourself the best fortified version of who you can be. Then you go compete with yourself or others. And then you kind of see where the chips fall. Okay. I've never well, heard. I've never you, you could name someone you, we could name people at the top and I've never heard a number two or three in my life say hey I'm gonna run compounds x y and z because I know that's gonna help me like like you'll never hear Eddie Hall say I'm gonna run x y and z so I can beat Thor you'll hear Eddie maybe candidly or other athletes talk about I'm gonna run this and hopes that it just gives me a better you know level of competition against myself it's interesting you say that because I think, I think most powerlifters at the highest level, I think they are very humble um, because just the nature of the sport, um, being lifting that heavy, it's, it's usually ego aside and all that. So I think I – think it's, it's a very humbling sport, and I'll say it's humbling because when I say sport, there's more that goes – people have got to understand 95% of what you see is totally away from the platform. So oh, yeah. you might see stuff on YouTube or IG, for example, um, like you'll see all these people lift together. You'll see, you know, me and Julius, or you'll see me and other people. Well, now we'll go to we'll go to seminars or we'll go to conventions and we'll all get together and do open gyms. But for the most part, I can say it's it's a very very uh, lonely place at the top. Even though you might go to a gym, like, and and I'm not trying to make this divisive. You can see powerlifters at their home gym who have a lot of people that are their acquaintances with, but it is still, if, if you're honest with yourself and most elites, I, I can say this, if you were to talk, you know, to Julius or swim hack or TD smash, and I'm just naming ventures for the most part, we will have friends or acquaintances at the gym, but 99% of the gym, we go, what time we go to the gym, we know it's going to be us pushing us. Very, I can count on more times I've had to push through my own workouts and maybe ask for a spotter than in my career where I've had a team of people. Because most gyms, there's always going to be one or two super dominant athletes 
and everybody else that wants to get to that level. There's very few gyms, contrary to what you see on IG or YouTube, where there's just a ton of amazing elite athletes. I train at one of the better ones in Texas, say, for example, and for a while, you could go on any given day and you might see myself, Rob Hall, Savage, uh, PH Deadlift, and maybe one or two other known elite powerlifters or, you know, personalities on Instagram. But most of the time you're going to go in and you might see one person that has ridiculous strengths and then a bunch of people. And I'm not saying this is derogatory, but people who have a bunch of average totals or average lifts. So you have to learn to push and motivate yourself because it's not like we're going, it's not like it's going, we're going to the gym and it's going to be like me, Eddie Hall, you know, Thor and Julius all lifting as like, you know, like a click, even when you see a lot of the old stuff with like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Lou Ferrego, so much of that stuff, I don't want to say it was fake, but it was so much of it was staged. You go to, you go, most of the time, you go to like a gold gym back in the day, you're going to see Arnold and maybe a couple other well-known people there. And that was at Gold's where there was like a ton of athletes, you know, that are recognizable. But for the most part, it's where we work out in a very, you know, old school fashion by ourselves, uh, and self-motivated. It's not like we have, you know, 10 or other IG celebrities that we all just work out. It's not like it's Justice League of powerlifters <laughs> every day. Don't you think it's strange, though? Because social media um, kind of makes it weird in that um, all the younger lifters think that all the top lifters have great training days every single day, and they don't see the the, the days that are hard and, like, the, the minor setbacks. And then, obviously, the, the every workout is not going to be, you know, a PR and uh, it, it, it depends. I mean, it, I, I think it goes to your brand or your niche, or I think with a lot of athletes, you'll kind of see the evolution. And, and I see this, I've seen this in myself and I've seen this in other people. I think the one common thing when you tie in the professional and the money and the social media aspect of it, I would say 90% of lift. And why I say this, I'm talking about guys who are secure in who they are as a lifter, as a man, as you know where they are with their character personal character development so i think with all things being said if you talk to the lifters who are at that level when i mean at that level of a certain maturity where they're honest with themselves um most people will show their fails you know or there's the flip side of it where it becomes so strange and this is a whole nother conversation i could go on for a long time about if you talk to a lot of people everybody thinks they want to be a sponsored athlete or an endorsed athlete until you actually get in there. And then there, I'll, I'll find myself like, man, I wish I could just go back to the days where I could just train. Didn't have to worry about being on that day for the camera or making a post or doing product placement. So it's kind of like a catch 22 or double-edged sword. Be careful what you wish for. That's the advice I'd give. And, and it goes back to what we were talking about with you don't see the fails and it's not always a PR. Now you take a guy and just – if we're just going to go off the PR part of it alone, first thing that comes to mind is I think of like Larry Wheels. And this is what you'll see in the in the evolution of a lot of powerlifters. You'll see a lot – if you go if you go to most of the top lifters, I don't care who it is, and, you, and if these are guys that are being honest with themselves, and you look at their content, you'll see a lot of the true ones, a lot of the real ones that are respected amongst the lifters even a guy like myself who does a ton of just stuff that's for trolls or shenanigans, I'll, I'll post my fails and I'll post pretty much a lot of aspects of my workout versus someone I would say that's evolved. You look at a guy like Larry or you look at a guy like, um, who else would I say, Thor. If you look at early on in their idea, their professional career, it was more about the lifts, the programming, you know, the day-to-day -day stuff that they're going through. And once you get to a point where, you've kind of made it or the competition side comes down, then you're just going to see you're, there's just some content you're not going to see because it's not really there. Like if I'm not competing, you're not going to see a bunch of meat contest prep or behind the scenes coming out of my content. Uh, if Larry's not competing, if a Thor or, a, you know, like Eddie Hall or Julius isn't necessarily competing, there's not kind of content, but you're going to see kind of more monetized content, more content that's, that's made for, you know, the products and, development stuff that they're pushing and I'm not trying to say that they're not sincere in their training they're just not showing that part of it because that's not what kind of what they're getting paid to do does that kind of make sense yeah for sure and that's that's kind of strange too because um when ES I heard when ESPN was going to 
film the uh, Julius Maddox uh, world record bench press attempt, Swimhack talked about how I think the attempt might have been a little bit rushed because it was for because um, they wanted people to see it on on TV and all that, and that obviously the misload and all that, but um, that that might have. Do you think that kind of th- might have threw him off if, if that happened? Um, I, I can okay, I can give you a quick recap of what exactly happened. Um, there were two briefings, you know, that morning um, to how everything was supposed to go, and it was being very systematically um, talked to us about the timing and everything had to go off of the hits. It was going to be live. You had to be ready to do A, B, and C at a certain time. So when it came to warm-ups, uh, I think they told us twice in the in the briefing that we had to be ready to go for the first flight, I mean, the first lift or first flight at 12.19. Uh, we started warming up, and there was a little bit of time left, so it was like 12.05, 12.07, and they said, okay, we're, we're starting at 12.19 sharp. Everyone be ready. I swear, me and Julius were uh, – I was helping Julius with his warm-ups, and he had about three – three or maybe four good lifts, big lifts to go before he was ultimately ready. And it was literally like 12.07 or 12.09. 12.05, they come back. 12.07, we're hearing, okay, lifter one, go. And we're like, what the fuck? You know, because in a powerlifting meet, 10, you figure every five minutes, you're going to get one or two of your warm-ups. And so in a span of 15 minutes, that's three good attempts that most elites are going to take to get their CNS ready. Yeah, um, sure. So with that being said, Julius had about two more lifts he had to take. I think we only got up to like a 650 or, or he wanted to get up to like 675, close to 700, as that was going to be his opener. And he opened it with 722 and it went fine. But the fact of the matter is we had about 15 minutes shaved off to attempts that he was supposed to take. So one, his whole first, he was almost going to skip the first attempt. Just for the fact that we didn't get to the heavier part, which really wakes up your CNS. A guy like Julius, who's going to be an 800-pound bencher, and I will say this, he had the strength there that day. 700 or 650 or 675 does almost nothing to wake up your CNS. It's almost such a lift where you feel it, but you don't feel it. So, And it's, it's real imperative to get a super heavy lift. You have to get something that's 80 or 90% close sometimes to your one rep max. Even if you just do it in a slingshot or with spotters holding, you need to feel that weight in your hands so your body doesn't lock up when you get out to the platform. So that part of the warm-up was definitely taken away from them. Now I'll say this, the whole culture that was created because of ESB&B there, there was a lot of stuff where people who aren't used, I'll, I'll just say this across the board, there's a lot of people that weren't used to being in the limelight of running or being an officiate at a meet of that magnitude because of the TV factor, where it's almost like everybody wanted to get to right, but you had too many too many cooks, you know, in the kitchen trying to make one dish, and there was a lot of stuff that got overlooked. And there was, you would think, people said, well, how does that happen? You know, there was 10 or 15 people. Well, 10 or 15 people are laser-focused on very finite parts of what's going on, and it kind of it was the perfect storm where everybody assumed that that was being handled appropriately. Now there's checks and balances in the rule book that say you know the head judge, head official is supposed to verify the weight you know two times to the head scoring table to verify that's indeed a world record attempt because you can't just you don't just call a weight at a meet and have everybody know that it's a world record attempt. You have to notify. The scoring table, the scoring table then notifies the judges that they have to, in fact, verify that it's the exact weight listed. So everything, you know, so to check on a check, apparently, you know, that didn't happen, and that's how the misload came to be. Yeah, um, I think that that's very disappointing because um, the whole world was watching. Um, I was oh, it for- was. You know, my phone was ringing off the hook about it, and people were like, well, how did you not know? And I'll tell you how I didn't know. It's just like I'll tell you, anyone who understands the sport knows the last person that said, and I'm not trying to excuse myself, the last couple of people that are ever going to notice something like that at a meet of that magnitude is the spotter. Uh, I don't, okay, let me, let me rephrase that. The liftoff person and the lifter. Because a lot of people are like, when, you know, a lot of the pages posted stuff, 
like, oh, it was the spotter's fault. Well, people are used to, like, gym slogans. So you hear spotter, you think the person handing you off the bar. But there's a difference in powerlifting between, you obviously, you know this, between side spotters and the handoff people. So I caught a lot of flack from people thinking that was actually when, you know, the, the headlines were like, spotters misloaded. They're like, how did you hand off or oh, how really? did you misload that? to Julius, I'm like, it's not my job to look. Actually, <coughs> it's an infraction or it's a disqualification if you're not an official spotter loader to hand to handle the weights. I can't touch the weights. I can't judge the weights. I can't do nothing to verify it. It's not my place. Yeah, um, so on that attempt, me and Julius were both. Julius was getting chalked up. I'm getting chalked up because at the end of the day, 800-pound uh, bench, you have to have a perfect handoff everything has there's so much that has to go right there's very 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 little little room for air so i was not focused on counting the plates at all and 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 maybe it's things when you're used to going to like two or three hundred meets over the course of your career you just take for granted a meet at that magnitude that that's the last thing that would ever happen and unfortunately uh we all learned our lesson yeah, I heard. Aren't you supposed to uh, count it, double check it if it's a world record attempt? Like double check. Yeah, the, 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 the side judges and it's the head, the head judge's job as the officiator to oversee that. It's his job to double check, and he has to signify that to the scores table before. So I use people ask me all the time. I use a scenario like everyone's used to watching Major League Baseball, and there's the infamous you know double play ghost tag. Nine times out of ten. The second baseman doesn't really touch it. He just touches in the vicinity. Yeah. And, and old school baseball, they say, okay, if it's in the vicinity, then it's an out. Now with replay, now it gets more technical with challenges. And did the yeah. second baseman actually touch them or the shortstop, whoever maybe? So now it's kind of like, you know, splitting hairs. So this kind of, kind of the same thing runs along with that. It's like you don't think to check that stuff when you've gone through the scenario a million times you just assume at that level that everybody's doing their job you know so but yeah. i'm sure i'm sure i'll double check it next time i go out there and i'm sure julius will double check it next time he goes out there sure that might be a lesson for for a lot of us but uh yeah the probably the crazier part about it is is like by how much they misloaded it by because it wasn't by like five or 2.5 pounds it was by a whole plate yeah, and, and you know what? And, I, and I'm not going to say this in their defense, but when, when you get to that level, six, five or six reds really all look the same. It's like yeah. <laughs> I, I can see in the heat of the moment how it happened. I'm not condoning or excusing that it did. I'm just trying to say, in all honesty, if we're being fair and objective with ourselves, I can see how it happens because five reds versus six reds look very, very similar. You know, it's easier with other weights, and I'm not knocking smaller guys. It's easier, like, when you only have one red, a blue, and a yellow, you know, because you're dealing with three different colored plates, and you can pretty much see the thickness. But, like, when you look at the overall thickness of those plates, they're very, very thin. So there's not a huge difference in size. It's different, like, when you're at the gym, it's so easy to notice five plates versus six plates or six plates versus seven. But with, you know, the calibrated plates, you know, it's really easy to blend five or six reds together. So it's it's not it's not as obvious as people would think unless you're absolutely right there looking at the bar. Sure. But uh I was I watched um after the attempt, uh Maddox, he talked about it. He was very professional about it. He he's like, I'll come back later and smash it. So well, good luck to him. He'll probably he'll probably get it next time because the third attempt, it looked very close. Um and if that oh, yeah, there's two things, two things without a doubt. And I've, I've seen Julius lift off or lift it off for him before I know how he feels the day of meets. I can say without a shadow of a doubt, he'll smash 800 pounds. And I know he had it that day. One, there, there's three main things. One, the warm-up wasn't what it was supposed to be, and that's not Julius's fault. I mean, like I said, we had two, two very in-depth – um, pre-production meetings where everybody, it was drilled in your head that the time is 12:19. So that's the difference between, I'll tell people all this as a coach all the time, the difference between professional versus amateur is professional. You know exactly where you need to be at every single, just like a fighter. When you're back, you're doing your warm-ups, you know, okay, 
walkouts at this time. You know, we got to do glove check at this time. It, it, you have it down to a science. Yeah. So people are like thinking 10, 15 minutes doesn't make that big of a deal. When you have every single lift timed out to the time the meet starts, you know, it, it makes all the difference in the world at that level. People, and, and, and I'm not knocking people when I say this, but, you know, it shouldn't make that big of a deal. Well, that's why you lift and you're an average lifter versus someone who has it down to a science like Julius. Those are the things that you need to go right when you're at the level of benching 800 pounds. If you're not at that level, don't give me advice on coming from you because you're not in a position I want to be in. I don't want to be an average lifter. Julius does not train to be average. So whatever average lifters would do or think is, you know, the standard at their level, well, that's, that's what applies to you at your level. You can miss 10 or 15 minutes and just go there and get ready because you're going to bench 315. You know, it's yeah. a huge difference on what you need to go right when you're attempting 800. Do you know why they cut, cut the warm-up that short? Was it because, like, they wanted – they just wanted – the people to see it I, you know what that's a, that's a million dollar question nobody exactly knows why nobody knows why they came back at you know to I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it because this is etched in my head they came back at 1205 and said okay everything's going on 1219 you guys have about 14 minutes so we're like cool we have about two to three lifts depending on how we feel and then you know two minutes later we hear first lifter you have to scramble because you have to get your your shirt ready your undershirt ready yeah, some people have to get their singlet on. You know, I, I don't warm up. I hate warming up in my, my lifting swing the whole time. I'll have my singlet down. I'll just have a T-shirt on. And I'll have shorts over until – literally until I'm about to go take my first attempt. Then I'll put my straps and everything on. Most people, most lifters at the elite level, they just it's, – it's, we've been there. We've done that. We're not excited to walk around in a slingshot or, you know, a <laughs> yeah. slingshot the whole time. Yeah, J James Strickland, he talked about how ESPN should have followed to powerlifting schedule, not to like the team. Yeah, that, that, I would say on a, on a production note, that was the biggest thing because they wanted like uh, they wanted like a five-minute commercial break. And we're like, look, to run it to USPA, to the, the speculations, uh, or I'm sorry, the spec specifications of the meat, it has to be done in a certain sequential order. So – there were certain things where it worked out for the Thor tele, uh, telecast, but it didn't work out for the Julius telecast. And, and I mean, it sucks. It's a lesson learned, but it was one of those things that, you know, was just overlooked by the production team. For sure. Because um, obviously ESPN's more used to like football, basketball, all the very fast exactly, sports yeah. and all that. And yeah, lifting, and, lifting and, just and one I mean, of those things. Everybody, if you watch the sport that you hear, you know, the terms like, TV timeout, you know, all this. So, so it's kind of been woven into the sport versus the Federation didn't really want to bend on how the Federation was going to run just to meet the time constraints of, you know, ESPN. So it's an unfortunate event, but I think it's a lesson learned and it will get definitely a uh, better plan for next time around. Do you know when uh, Maddox will be uh, attempting that in the future? Or is that uh, I don't know. I think Julius is more about just getting ready and staying ready, and then when he feels good, he's trying to find – he just kind of finds a meet to jump into. Yeah, well – So, I can, I can definitely say, my my opinion, probably the next two to three months, if even that long. Wow, two to three months, huh? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you got to figure this. He, he took on a slight slight bit of injury from, from that, but he was ready to go. So, it's not like – it's not like I, I, it's not like the 800 is not there. The 800 was there. He probably had 815 in the tank. So it's not a matter of is he strong enough. It's just a matter of is he you know recovered enough to where he feels confident he'll just go out there and smash it. Yeah, for sure. Well, the next meet that he does that he's going to attempt it, I'm pretty sure every spotter is looking just to make sure that doesn't oh, happen yeah, again. It'll, yeah, it'll, without a shadow of a doubt, it'll be double, triple checked. Yeah, you know. All right, uh, let's move on from that. Let's talk about more positive things. Uh, so you are a coach. Um, so let me ask you, what is the best thing about being a coach to you? I, I think the best thing, um, I think it's all just depends on, you know, where you're at in life. And I'm at a place in life where I'm still ambitious. I'm still hungry to break, you know, personal. What I, what I, ultimately as a goal, would I like to get to 700? Yes realistically, you know, turning 43 this month and having a couple injuries, is it realistic? 
it was hard enough to – I'm never going to say never, but I can say it was definitely hard enough to get to that level without any injuries to take take that attempt, you know, 705. Um, but if I if I were to end my career in the next year or two, and as, I feel my ultimate goal is to be the strongest master lifter ever, I think I have the world and master record in the IPL and the USPA and most other federations for that part at, you know, a 633 for master's open bench. I'd like to get back to the 650, 675 level. I think, you know, with everything going on now and taking time from, you know, competition and just let myself heal, uh, I think it can definitely be done. But to tie that in with where I'm at as far as coaching, I think coaching anything, you know, a lot of you'll hear this a lot with first time, first couple of year coaches, say in football, for example, you start to learn and you learn how everything has to work together cohesively. Like when I played football as a D-line and a linebacker, I didn't care. It, it didn't, I didn't acknowledge how important it was to understand the schematics of what the secondary is doing behind me and how that affects my job as a D-line. And it didn't make sense. I didn't understand how if the secondary is playing lockdown D, then it makes it easier for me to get a sack because the quarterback has to hold on the ball longer. You just think of it from the position standpoint and from the field of vision that you see. But as a coach, you have to see how all different parts work together and how to make it more cohesive and a more effective unit. So I think when I go into coaching, even though there's stuff that's second nature for me, I have to retrace my steps and be able to translate it to the athlete. So then it makes me uh, either simplify stuff or it makes me have a better understanding of things from just a mentality standpoint, a training standpoint, a philosophical standpoint, and from like a mechanical standpoint of how some things are effective and some things aren't. I think it just makes you revisit relearning your craft and makes you a smarter lifter. Um, and, and I think if you're just on the coaching aspect of it only, it makes you start a smarter coach as you kind of see what works and doesn't work for different people. Sure. So is that how you evaluate like an athlete that would first come to you that like has, has a goal to, to say like bench 500 pounds in their, in their next meet? I'll tell people, and, and I'm a firm believer in this in all aspects of what you do and what you apply to your life. Don't, don't get caught up in the number. I tell people, especially with my volume and it, it kind of works hand in hand. I do a lot of volume training. I incorporate a lot of incline and I'll tell people, you have to fall in love with the process, not the results, because the results will come. If you don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, or if you don't fall in love with it and you're just married to the results, the second the results don't come when you want them, you're going to give up because you don't have a certain level of personal growth and development invested in the process. When you can say, I've sacrificed X, Y, and Z, and I've poured my blood and my life into this, you know, and every ounce of what I had to while I was doing it, and you became in love with that process, then it makes it harder to quit when the results don't come as fast as you want. Because there's always, because, you know, plateaus and stagnation are just, they just have to make you level up and ask better questions. You want better results, ask better questions. Sure. So, you know, so I, so as far as that part of it, I, I am more focused on getting people used to the process than I am getting them used to chasing the results. That, I think that's very important. That's probably why in the U.S. gyms fill up in January and March. Uh, no, January and February, and then they just empty out by March. They just, they, 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 had, they set a goal, I want to get fit, but then they don't see the results, and then they just quit. Mm -hmm. um, and that's yeah. very important to fall in love with the process. Because, because they're seeking that external validation. They yeah. They're only seeking the short term of what validates me, what strokes my ego, what makes me feel better in the moment because I don't have the sense of day-to-day -day activities or discipline to see that long-term vision of what I could be. I, when I, I look at people and I see the value. I see the potential. I don't, I don't sit there and pick and choose and say, oh, this guy in a month, he could be 500-pound bencher and it's going to help me look like this Billy Badass of a coach. I'd rather take the guy who I can, how I can give value to and take a guy that's a 225 bencher and turn it into a 400-pound bench over a year or two because I'd rather show people 
I saw the potential. And this is what you can do if you can learn to not give up on yourself. So many people are so quick to sell themselves on their bullshit fucking excuses that are going to make it easier for them to quit. Quitting is hard. Your gut and your, your ability to level up and your ability to be true with yourself, your gut's never going to lie to you. And when you start to feel guilt, that's because you know you can do better for yourself. And then you get caught up in this fucking bullshit, woe well, is me, trying to create excuses and justify why you quit on yourself. And then you quit talking about your goals. That's the number one sign I can tell with people is I listen to their self-talk. If someone's self-talk is almost non-existent, they're not trying to get affirmations. They're not trying to put out there what they want to be held accountable to. If I never tell you as a, if, if, I, if me and you are friends and I don't confide into you or anybody else what my goals are, it's easy for me to quit because now I don't have to be accountable. And now you can't hold me accountable because I never told you what I'm trying to do. Now I'm not, I'm not in the business of getting people to verbally go out and talk about what they want to do, but you definitely got to be able to mention and hold some type, some type of accountability to yourself. Yeah. That's always why there's a value in getting a coach. Um, obviously there are workouts that won't, that won't be, that won't go the way that you are. And, and you need a coach to, to stay accountable for it. I build, I build, I build failure into my programming. I'll, I'll purposely have people do say, for example, 10 by 10. And I know they're only going to finish six or seven, but it's because they're going to see the growth. They're going to see when they kept getting fucked up in the beginning, or just like if I'm teaching someone karate and I'm the fucking sensei, I'm going to fuck you up the first four or five couple times. And then slowly, slowly after getting your ass kicked and learning how to get yourself back up, you're going to build confidence. And then there's going to be one or two times where you start to have success and you start to like pop me in the mouth. And then it's going to start to build your confidence more and you're going to fall in love with the process. So it's not, so the important thing for me is, is to not get people sold on the if, but on the when. If, if, if isn't even a possibility to think this might not happen someday, then you're completely fucked in your mindset. Yeah. But if you can start to tell yourself when it's going to happen and start to envision it, then you're going to fall in love with the process because every day you're bettering yourself because, you know, it's going to happen and you're going to stick it out to see when it happens because you're not going to let your competition or that person get the best of you. It's all, it all really comes down to mindset. Most people have the physical attributes to turn themselves into the person they envision, they just usually don't have the discipline to see through and do what it takes. Yeah, I think that's that's not talked about enough. Um, the mental, a lot of people think powerlifting, bodybuilding is just physical. They don't they don't know the the stuff that goes in your head. That setting a goal and being able to 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 be able to to train hard enough to achieve it, and just you know be, being able to achieve that goal without without giving up, that's very important. Because people want to people want to talk more about the accomplishments than they do the accountability. Oh yeah. So um, so social media. Let's talk about social media with all the um, instant gratification and all that. I see a lot of lifters that just max out all the time, just to get a like or two on their post. And I think it, 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 I mean it's cool. I I think to each their own. I'll do I'll do stuff that's for the gram. I'll make no mistake about it. But at the same time, there's a difference on, like, I think it just comes down to where you're at and what you're doing it for. If, if, if you're trying to put out this fake-ass fucking persona of, of who you think you are, then at the end of the day, your lack of substance is going to expose who you are. You can, you can lie to a lot of people, but ultimately, you can't continuously lie to yourself because the universe is going to hold you accountable because that day is going to come where you go to a meet or something else and you're exposed for being a fraud because you can't back up the shit you were doing on the ground, you know, versus someone like people give me shit all the time because I troll and I do like gimmicky shit or whatever. But I'm like, Hey, I really, you know what? Give zero fucks. Cause at the end of the day, I'm secure in where I am. I'm already in the book. Like we said it before. It's, and I'm like, fuck, there's so many 700 fucking lifters now. Yeah. But still, if I, I think us open or, or powerlifting, one of them, that are, uh, I think it was U.S. Open or Open Lifts did something where out of like 200,000 something registered compete competitors, I'm still 10th or 11th in the world. So out of everyone who's ever done it and competed, I'm in the top 1%. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with Julius being where he is. I'm okay with Krill being where he is. I'm okay with Spo. I'm okay with all those guys. Now the fact, and it's funny because Julius is, you know, one of my near and dear friends. 
or I, I used to joke around, if you constantly have to bring up fucking Larry Wills or your idol to make me look shitty, I'm still fucking winning. If I'm number two behind your idol, Larry, even though I bench more than Larry, then I'm still winning. You know what I mean? It's like, am I, am I really doing that bad if you have to name fucking Eddie Hall or Julius or Larry to make me look shitty as a lifter? Okay. You know, you're old, 675, you only get class. I've heard it all. And at the end of the world, at the end of the day, I'll, I'll go down as one of the 10th, 11th benchers on competition on flat bench. And, you know, until Julius decides to go out there and fuck around with the incline, I'll still be the best incline presser of all time, you know? So I'm still winning. I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's easy to get caught up on the, the negative comments when there's so much positive out there, especially during a time like this, during coronavirus. Yeah, I, I think if, if you – before I used to, I used to have really super thin skin when it came to YouTube because more YouTubers talk shit than they're actually, actually people who go out there and lift. So at least with the IG following – it's a little bit more people who are kind of in the know and kind of already like the content you do. But at the end of the day, I, I, it's, I mean, if, if you're not getting hated on, you're not doing something right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Cause the biggest thing that I see on super heavyweight bench pressers is that, Oh, you bench that much because you're fat and. Oh, or, oh you're just benching double your body weight. I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. Cause so many people are doing it. I'm like, and I always tell people this when it gets to the point, where you're in the in the fucking top ten of people to ever do it, you what are, what's the play? If it's so easy, then why is if everybody in this world is laid down and lifted weights and try to measure what their bench press is, and you're one of ten people to do it the best? It's like how can you even knock that? But at the end of the day, people people voice and project what they really think about themselves. So. It's not really my my bench that they're talking shit about. It's their lack of ability to have a good bench themselves. Sure. If they see someone else that's doing better, lifting more, looking yeah. more jacked, they'll they'll easily try to try to bring you down with them. And but I'm sure like this, like say for example, a guy like who's who's been there and done it and has success, like I'm ninety nine percent sure and, and I'm not saying you have to agree with his content or his personality or even his format or his channel. A guy who's done it and been successful, like a Joe Rogan, is not going to look at what you're doing right now, trying to, you know, get your name out there in the business and shit on you. Yeah, least, yeah. The elites are never going to go to a fucking subpar lifters page and just fucking shit on them or bash them. Yeah. You know, if you're doing it, it's like Michael Jordan doesn't go there and fucking, when he was a player, go to other people's, he wouldn't go to people's social media and say, oh, you're shitty. You know, now there's plenty of people that if you attack me, I'm going to talk shit back. But I'm not going to sit here and scroll through IG to look for people and say, oh, this is shitty or that. You know, I'll be honest with people. If people ask my opinion, I'll say, yeah, bro, you don't tuck your elbows or, you know, you arch too much or something. If it's ass, but I don't just go on there and pretend I'm Coach Walker on other people's IG and just talk shit. It's interesting you, you mentioned Joe Rogan. I think one of his strategies – um, was like I post something and then I don't read the comments. I just I just leave it. <laughs> a lot of times it will get to that point. I still I still engage. I'll still troll people. Like I'll say something like, "Oh, really? You think that?" And I'll sit here and have like fire for different things, and people will take me dead ass serious. I'm like, "Bro, it's not that serious." I go, "I'm just here for the algorithm, you know, yeah. for the for the banter back and forth." Because to me, it, it's really funny. Because I'm secure in what I do, and I'm sure most people are secure in what they do. Not, to me, it just, it just gets comical because at the end of the day, it's social media. Yeah, well, it's, it's very easy now to troll someone because you don't yeah. have to say it face-to-face. -face. I could, like, hide behind a screen and be like, oh, you know, he benched 700 because, you know, it's just, you know, because he's fat. But Yeah, well, that's just a lot of things. People, people will say what they want because there's no consequences. Back in the day, if you had to say that to someone's face oh, and yeah. you had to worry about getting popped in the mouth, you choose very carefully what you say. But now people – there's, like, even – like, that's why I laugh at, like, even social media, like, dating and stuff, because it's so – you don't even have to be – have the courage to go up and ask, you know, like, a girl or a guy, whatever your thing may be. You don't have to have the courage. You can just go to someone's DM or you can go to Facebook <laughs> Messenger and just hit up someone. Like, hey, I'm going to talk to you regardless that I didn't have the fucking courage to ask you for your phone number. Here we are. I'm trying to talk to you. To me, it's kind of creepy. I get creeped out. I'll get people message me on – I turn out – I actually – People are like, oh, you didn't get this or that. I'm like, first of all, if you know me, know me. You have my phone number. Second of all, 
most of my business I do I conduct through IG. So if you're trying to message me on Facebook and then gonna hit me with the word Facebook friends, I, that doesn't register me because Facebook is a platform I'm on or do I use to communicate. And I actually have all, on all my social media, I have my notifications turned off. Because like oh. I said, if people know how to get a hold of me, they're gonna call me on my phone. I'm not scared to give up my number you know, to people, but because at, at the same time, social media makes it accessible to people or makes us accessible as, uh, you know, higher level athletes. I can also block someone, but it doesn't get, it really doesn't get that bad. At least in my experiences, it hasn't. Well, at least you, you have at least a unique way of handling it. You, you like to talk back a little bit and then, you know, oh, I'll talk different. back. I'll, I'll like the other day I posted, I think this guy de de fucking deleted the whole account. Oh. I said something like, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish the steroids, you know, da, 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 da. And so I was like, really? You think that's all it is? And I think I just did that like a post or two ago. And then people are like going, like, oh, you know, that guy totally deleted his account. And I was like, I didn't know he had, who's going to do all that. I was just having fun. Yeah. That, like I said, it's like it's, it's, it's very easy to, to debate someone and then just disappear. Just, just take back yeah, what they Yeah, I'm said. always – I'm not apprehensive on the – I mean – I really, I, it's almost like zero fucks given, but I just do think it's funny. Like, I'll post the stuff on Anabolics, and I'll probably, like, gain X amount of followers, but I'll probably lose just as many because people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're talking about that or you're trying to push PEDs. I'm like, I'm not pushing nothing. I'm just asking the question. Yeah, well, the, I think I think uh, the IOC, the Olympic Committee, they thought about taking Olympic weightlifting out of the Olympics because of that very reason, because of all the doping yeah. scandals lately. Do you think yeah. powerlifting could ever be in a position where they could make it into the Olympics? Um, I, you know what? I think may, maybe it could, but I, I mean, what? okay. It, it's almost like when you're in it and you're real about it, it's, it's hard to like – it's hard to go I, – when I would say it's hard to go hurry up and be fake. You know what I mean? It's like, would I like to see powerlifting bench, squat, and deadlift in Olympics? Would I like to see it? Yes. But two things are going to happen being an elite lifter. When I, As I'm watching, I'm going to think either it's tested and <laughs> I'm not going to be entertained watching someone do a 500-pound bench when I know there's people out there – including myself that do it for reps. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's like, you can't put something in front of me and just call it the Olympics and think I'm just going to fucking bleed red, white, and blue and just be like, yeah, go lifter. I'm like, okay, you're drug free. I respect what you're doing, but on a scale of one to 10, am I going to watch that versus fucking LeBron James in the playoffs? No, I'm not going to. I'm going to watch LeBron James in the playoffs and I'm a fucking power lifter myself. Now, if you were to say weightlifting just raw, uncut, you know, non-tested is going to be ESPN, like uh, boss of bosses, yeah, I would watch it. If I'm for entertainment value, I want to watch the best of the best. But if you're going to tell me I'm watching the Olympics and I'm supposed to have faith in the process that everybody was tested, then I know I'm going to see lesser than, like, elite lifts. You know, at their level, they might be elite. But when I know that there's someone else that's being honest and not on that team because they're open about their PED use, I can't get excited about those lifts. Sure. And it's probably because there's so many federations. There's hundreds of federations. They probably, like, can't decide on certain standards. Exactly. And, and the people are like, oh, so you think it does? It, does it make a difference? Yes. Does it make the lifter? No. Does it make a difference? Yes. Are you going to go – are you going to pay as much on a pay-per-view fight to watch someone with headgear versus someone with no headgear get knocked yeah. the fuck out? Yeah. You're not paying millions of dollars to watch people box in headgear. You, you can talk to me about all the safety and this and that of the sport. People want what they want. And people can call me vocal or whatever. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest about I think the way probably 90% of the, the general public would answer that if they didn't have to worry about being shunned or ostracized by Joe Public. Yeah, powerlifters, um, yeah, because of the very strict WADA. Um, I know WADA, they do this thing where they'll they'll test athletes year-round. Yeah. And, um, they'll, like, knock on your door at, like, 6 a.m. or something. And it's yeah. like, okay, you're, you're all doing a urine test 
And yeah, I, it may be on the maybe on the wrong person because I'll say, I'll tell you what I do think when I watch the IOC and when I watch you know USA and I watch the you know the World Championships. I think, fuck, this guy could be so much fucking stronger if he ran a little bit of tests. That, that's honest. That's what I think. Like this guy is natty. Fuck, I hate to see what he's on gear. And well, and maybe yeah. I'm wrong. But that's the first initial thought I have. Well, I'm pretty sure they're on something. Like the top Olympic weightlifters, they're on something. Um, they're doing something to to go around the test. That's that's yeah. why Russia, like when they got caught, they almost all their athletes got caught. They had to ban the whole country. Um, whatever they're doing to beat the test, they're 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 still on something, I guess, on competition yeah. day. Yeah. So I guess that, I guess they're still running something. <laughs> there. Yeah, and and it's hard because it's hard for me to feel sympathy. It's like, I, I can't get excited about someone who is going to sit back and cry about it versus just, like, accept it's just kind of what the sport is. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I, and I guess I always feel that way when I'm sitting here. It's almost like even if we take drugs out of it, it's just it comes down to just, I think, just work ethic. And it, it's like – People, okay, here, here's what I'm saying. People want to have balance, and people want to, I think in the Western world, people want to have justification for making other people conform to what they do. It's like, you'll see all these people, like Team USA, for example, they'll want to like, oh, you know, the government doesn't pay us, or we don't get sponsored enough to be this and that. But I'm not sitting here knocking, like, say, for example, pro soccer, I don't think it's a bad thing that you have countries like Spain and Germany, you know, that will send kids off. If the parents say, Hey, we want this guy to be the next Ronaldo. We're going to put him in a soccer Academy at age three. And that's what their culture does because their culture is alpha and <clears throat> they're super highly competitive. I'm fine with that. But then I feel like, fuck, we're soft when, Team USA is like, oh, we got to send Johnny to high school for 12 years and then let him decide if he likes soccer. Uh, no, you're not going to win because Spain's been doing the shit since the kids were fucking three years old. And then you wonder why we go to the World Cup and we get fucking destroyed by everybody else. Because <laughs> people want to think if we sacrifice a little as Americans, then that should be how everybody does it. So we as Americans get outraged when – I remember – I'll never forget this – um, you know, playing Little League Baseball, people would always talk about back in the day, and I'm, I'm 43, so back in the day, I'm talking about the 80s, people would always be so, like, up in arms when Japan or fucking Chinese Taipei would demolish everybody. Like, the fucking kids play since they are babies, and they yeah. play baseball every day, all year round. That's why they're the best. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that, because if I'm going to be Joe Blow American, and go, you know, play at the lake and swim all day and do all this other stuff and then practice baseball for one hour, why should I deserve to beat Chinese Taipei if they do it 18 hours a day for years? They put in the work to be that good. But we want everybody to take on American work ethics and standards and apply that to the world, and anybody who does more than that is just crazy or obsessed or, you know, they're driving their kids to baseball like slave. It's like I've heard it all, and I don't agree with it. Yeah, a lot. A lot of the countries that represent, like, like I think Russia. Uh, yeah, Russia before they got banned for weightlifting, um, they did the same thing. I think they would pick out kids at like six, seven years old, send yeah. them to camps until they reach like the age to go to the Olympics to represent the country. And they exactly. would. Well, it comes down to like I don't see these other countries having all these fake ass leagues and federations like. Don't, I can don't even get me started about the federations because I I'm sitting here. People like want to post all this shit on social media. Oh, I took number one. Well, how many people did you face? <laughs> I was uncontested. I'm like, so you got a fucking participation award, and you want me to clap and applaud that and put a like and some fucking cool hashtag to make you feel better about yourself? No, other countries don't give a fuck about that stuff, and that's why they whip our ass in so many different sports on so many different levels. So we're built to have this. Woe is me, participation, fucking everything should be equal. I don't think everything should be equal. I think if you work your ass off to be better than me, then that's just the way it is. If you work every single day and know the dictionary inside and out, 
and you're from another country and you put emphasis on education, then you come over here and kick my ass in the spelling bee. I shouldn't feel bad about that. I didn't put in the work. People want to put in 10 minutes of work and get a fucking full day's paycheck. That's what's wrong yeah, with so yeah. much stuff. Everybody wants it the easy way, the road, you know, less traveled. And it's like, it's just, at the end of the day, it doesn't translate into success or long-term success. It's funny that you're talking about this because I think a couple of years back, um, the Federation specifically, USAPL, they decided to increase the qualifying total that you needed to qualify for nationals. And a lot of people gave them shit for it. They were like, oh, my God, why, why did you increase the totals? Now I can't make it to nationals. I'm like, yeah, you train harder. Like, is, it really, is it really prestigious if everybody's able to do it? Yeah. You know? I know participation award. That, I definitely don't agree with that. Uh, so I, I don't even I don't really even acknowledge USAPL as one of the top federations on so many different levels. Oh really? Why? <laughs> because of participation stuff. Because they want to hide behind the whole drug free. I'm, I'm more of just open. Let the best compete against the best. Yeah, I think. And if you're drug free, compete against drug free, and that's MT own. That's great for you. Because I know the Arnold Classic um, for like the strongman events. I don't know if powerlifting too. I think they just don't test at all, right? Yeah, and it's and everybody comes out to watch it. It's great. Yeah. Um, I think I took enough of your time, sir. Uh, I think that was a great podcast. Uh, thank you for taking the time to do this. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on, my man. All right. That's it for the podcast, right. guys. Peace.